Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Yes, indeed, there is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this very beautiful day, this awesome day of creation that you have given us, Lord God, to accomplish and to to be and abide in your will. I thank you that your will be done in and through this time together with our listeners today. Lord God, that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to be transformed and changed by your word through your spirit into the image of Jesus Christ, more and more like you, Jesus we thank you, Father God, for the extension of your love through the demonstration of the gift in giving your own son, uh, even as we celebrate his uh, birth at this very time of the year. And we thank you, Lord God, for freely giving us, uh, not withholding anything, that we might be saved, that we might be um, rescued, that we might be set free. And so I thank you for this time. I thank you for our listeners. I thank you that you bless them with the true spirit of Jesus Christ, which is the true spirit of Christmas, and that you would um, give us the encouragement, Lord God, in these days when things become sometimes more stressful, sometimes more intense, people, family, finances, relationships, that you'd give us grace to do the, to be peaceful and to recognize the important things and not feel like we have to do anything, but just be and abide in your love. So we ask again for the promise to be kept that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the enemy who is real would be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach to any of us, Lord God, that our families, those who work for us and pray for us and our immediate acquaintances, those we love, those who we pray for, would all be encouraged this day with the presence and the power of your love. And thank you, Jesus, for bringing the testimony of your love and grace through your holy word. So as we look at it today, I pray that it would be encouraging and enlightening for all of us. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, honey. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. What a beautiful day. Yeah, it is. We just got some beautiful snow last night. I mean, that just makes everything official in Minnesota. Very nice. I don't know how people who live in other places where they don't get any snow. Sorry for you guys. I I just don't know how you can even get into the... uh, These poor people in Florida and Arizona, what do they do? Well, you know, the thing is, I think (laughs) Christmas is about a spirit more than about a lot of things. And it, it's kind of like, you know, it, you're finally feeling like you can be quiet, settle down, take a nap, feel cozy, feel okay for, you know, sitting by a cozy fire or drinking, sipping some hot chocolate or apple cider or just being still. I think that's that's one of the the virtues of this time of the year to be able to be still and be quiet and know that he's God. And right, and the flip side of that is all the holiday friendly. Oh, my goodness. The shopping and the parties and the mm-hmm. get-togethers and all that stuff. And yeah. Nothing wrong with getting together with people and so forth, but mm-hmm. we get it. We got so many stressors that we attach with what we call the holiday. Exactly. And and so I think I think the idea of Jesus coming to the the beautiful story, the intense this is the culmination of 4,000 years of preparation on God's part to bring Jesus and into the world as an infant and 
to look at the um, how he did that, the the announcements that were made, the preparations that were taken, the 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 many uh, let's see the, the 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 announcements came to some very very plain uh, ordinary people, uh, very inconspicuous miracles, lots of miracles in this thing. But before we look at that, um, and I'm going to really going to spend probably this week and maybe next week talking about the the word of God and what Jesus did and what that's all about. Really, at a level where you can start to settle down and be okay during Christmas, no matter what is going on outside of you. And you mentioned a couple of the things, honey, uh, the title of today's show is, what about Christmas? Is it a family tradition, a sacred religious holy day, or a holiday conspiracy? What would you say? Well, we have made it a little bit of all of that. Yeah. Really. I mean, uh, you know, I guess you could say there's holiday conspiracies in the sense of the commercial end of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have uh, Black Friday and now Black Friday. What used to be all on Black Friday is now on Thanksgiving Day or pre-Black Friday sales. Yeah. And then you've got Cyber Monday. Yeah, I, I heard they things. changed the color of black. Friday to gray. <laughs> it was kind of gray this year. Yes, because well, part of it is because but do you, sales are being but, but more you, spread out you before think, and after. Do you think anybody that's racing around on any of those pre-Christmas days, uh, racing towards the deadline of whenever it is you celebrate, um, do you think any of them really has time to meditate and think and ponder and be okay when they're racing for the gift, the the thing that everybody wants this year, or they're trying to find the perfect thing, or they don't have the money to buy the perfect thing. They're racking up credit cards or their bank accounts are just uh, slim to nothing. Right. Well, and they feel obligated to have to do it. Right. But there's a, there's a pressure there sometimes to impress or Mm. give something what they want. And, and uh, all these things, it's like, or we're, yeah. Or they have so much stuff already that you they don't need anything else and you can't think of anything else. And, I mean, it's just, it can be so messed up. And, and you see the thing that we're, we're trying to pick, pick here today, picture is how messed up and far removed all of what we do about Christmas and for Christmas and in, in, in the event of Christmas is so absolutely far removed from what really happened. Right. And even uh, besides the commercialism, and a lot of times as families are getting together, it's a very discouraging time of the year for many people. Mm-hmm. Even when you do have family, sometimes there's been old bitternesses, hurts, unforgiveness, and, uh-huh. and there's a lot of conflict connected with that. Or mm-hmm. there are people that are maybe mourning the loss of a loved one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've just gone through a, yeah. a divorce or separation, or there's there's a, a hey. cancer has come to a member of the family, or uh, someone has just uh, mm-hmm. passed away this year, or several family members have passed away. So it's it can be really a, a, a time of, of discouragement. For and I would well. say a tsunami of emotional distractions possible because it's a very intense time. Christmas is a time that, that really puts the magnifying glass on things that we have not wanted to look at in terms of relationships and stuff for the, throughout the year. But at Christmas time, it all comes to a boiling point or a focal point where, oh, they're not showing up this year or, you know, whatever it is. Um, or, or I don't have someone to share Christmas with me or whatever. But, you know, Christmas must be a really, uh, or let's just put it this way, the birth of Jesus Christ was a real problem to Satan. It was a real problem because he was going to have to come up with, fabricate some story to to bury 
the true meaning of Christmas. He was going to have to fabricate a lots of options and distractions for people so that they would not enter into the peace, goodwill towards men gift that God had offered them on that in that moment when he visited the shepherds through the angels. Um, so Satan did a fine job. He always does. He has many options. He's, he, and so in that way, I'd say Christmas is another battlefield. It's another point of conspiracy. It's another part of the spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, like you said, Satan is throwing in a lot of clutter, just you mm-hmm. know, just traditions and ideas, mm-hmm. Santa Claus, any number of things that do distract yeah. us from the fact yeah. of a savior. Well, and, and we're not we're not just looking at a manger scene here of a baby that was born and laid in a manger. I mean, that is that gives us somewhat of a focus, but still there's a point much deeper mm-hmm. than that of why he came. Well, and if you look at that baby and what he was born into and the war, the, the bloody, literally bloody uh, war that was fought around him and even previous to his birth, you'll see that this was the, this is the point where the promise was kept that the, the seed of the woman, that be Jesus, would crush the heel of the serpent, head or the head of the serpent. Head sorry, head. yeah, head. Yeah. Head is better than heel for sure. Yep. And, uh, but the thing is, so from that garden event, the enemy has been pondering, uh, trying to figure out who this this head crusher would be when he would come. He had very little to go on, actually. All he knew that that this de- this, this divine uh, rescuer would come as the seed of a woman. And so in that, we see his first attempt to foil the plan of redemption in corrupting the DNA. That was his first plan. He thought, if I can just, and that's, that's all he knew at the beginning. It was going to be the seed of a woman. That's all he knew. So the seed of the woman was his focal point. He had to try to corrupt human DNA, and he did. And so this was really what, what you're looking back at, say, Genesis chapter 6. Mm-hmm. Where the uh, the sons of God, these angels, fallen intermarried, angels. the mm-hmm. fallen angels came and intermarried, had sexual relations with uh, human women. I don't know if they married them, but they, they probably didn't. They took them. What, <laughs> they took I don't know them. What it they says, did. yeah. But that's a good point, though. That all all the way back there, mm-hmm. Satan was working to corrupt the DNA so the Savior could, could not, not come. come. I mean, basically, he was. He was says this. He knows something. That he knew, like you said, he know he knew the head crusher was coming, mm-hmm. and he's kind of in a sort of in a panic mode. Whatever he could mm-hmm. to distract, destroy, and he's uh, people from experiencing from the head crusher coming, yeah. from the savior coming, and then to keep people well, from connecting with the reality, the truth of who he is and why he came. Right. And so Jesus, you say, well, why was that so important? What's the DNA got to do with deliverance and healing and salvation? Well, if Jesus had to, the whole thing goes back to sin. Humans sinned. Therefore, humans had to die. And yet there was no human. This is the problem. There was no human left eligible to die for the sins of the humans because all the humans had been enslaved by the agreement made by Adam and Eve with the enemy when they took the bite of the fruit, the forbidden tree, the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So there were no humans eligible to die. And yet, because it's an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, justice had to be served by a human dying. 
So Jesus, that's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. But God did not tell Satan that in the beginning. He just he just said it would be, be the seed of a woman. Of a woman. So, so what happened then was Satan knew that. He knew that if he corrupted the DNA, like, for example, when the Watchers, the fallen angels, were, were uh, producing offspring, uh, that was corrupting the DNA. So every generation that was corrupted by the Nephilim or would would bring a demonic DNA strands uh, coding information into the human DNA, which would make it also corrupt and unable. You can't have Jesus come from half demon, half human, or half devil, I should say, or fallen angel and half human. That is not going to work. You had to have a pure. So what, what you just said, a pure strand, a strain, so when God saw that there was no one left righteous in his generations but Noah, that was saying there's nobody left with good DNA but Noah. So what did he do with Noah? Well, he preserved Noah. He stuck him he, in a little box. He, stuck, <laughs> stuck, he says, Noah, build a boat. I mean, this is, and well, he, it says he was a preacher of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, for years, what, 120 yeah. years. Yeah. And, 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 but Noah was, he was, uh, Perfect his generation in his generations. Mm-hmm, in other mm-hmm. words, his DNA was good, right? Absolutely. And he walked with God, mm-hmm. and he had he had to uh, undertake a a monumental. Oh my project goodness! Can you imagine? This is all this, this <laughs> in arc. preparation to, for Christmas. Really believe it or not? Oh yeah, really, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, this preparation has been going on for a long time. But so Noah was, let's see, what's he, I'm going to see, he was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. He was the 10th from Adam, or the 9th, depending on how you count it, Adam was first, of course. So Noah, by the 10th generation down, there was Adam, then there was Seth, there was Enosh, and then, um, I can't even read my writing, but down to Noah. And so Noah... By the time we get into 10 generations, we have everything corrupted, I think, including the animals. And that's probably why he took animals on the boat, too, because, of course, God didn't want to start all over again because he wanted to preserve creation. So he included the animals. And it was interesting. He he brought baby animals more than likely so they'd fit in the boat. And people say, well, they couldn't possibly fit all these animals in the boat. Well, just just to correct you, he he brought one, uh, uh, two, a pair of each kind, not each species. He didn't bring... You know, the many, many species of dogs. He brought one kind of dogs, and from those dogs came the species. Came the species again later. But so, so Noah is the first guy that gets um, on board. God calls him. And then, um, you know, what happened after he <clears throat> got on the boat, took his three sons and their, their uh, wives, which happened to be um, of other bloodlines, and possibly there was some bad strains of blood, and there could have been with one of them, especially Ham's wife, don't know her name, but anyway, we so we see the Mrs. giant Ham. Mrs. Ham. Oh yeah, okay. Mrs. Ham, Noah's son. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, because we see the giants coming out again, and we see from Ham's bloodline, uh, we see Canaan, who was the grandson of Noah, who Noah actually looked at him and, and cursed him when he could have cursed Ham because Ham was the guy who did the bad thing, but he could have been looking at Canaan, his son, and saw the the uh, telltale signs of giant uh, DNA in the six fingers and the, and the double rows of teeth and uh, could have said to himself, oh, no, this isn't going to work. But anyway, Cush, Nimrod had, um, I mean, sorry, Ham had a son, Cush, and our Cush had a son named Nimrod, and Nimrod became the king of the earth. And from him, 
Uh, the devil is working much through him to he begin began to become a Gaborim, which means his basically his human traits and characteristics began to change or morph into something else. So he was the king of the earth. He was very a mighty hunter, but he was very rebellious, and he was the one who built the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was another attempt. Now Satan's it's like a chess game. So now Satan's going to make his move. He's going to put Nimrod out there, build the Tower of Babel, and reach build a ziggurat to heaven, so to speak. And in that, he begins to um, wants to communicate with the fallen angels, I believe, um, because it wasn't you know they weren't really thinking they were going to get all the way up into heaven with that. But so God came down and destroyed the um, languages of the people, so that they could not communicate, and so foiled the second attempt for the, from the earth to come up in together to pay allegiance to Satan. So now they scattered into 70 different nations, 70 different language groups. And from that, then we begin to see the development of the various colors and races and things. Um, and so there was this, this war going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then who came next after, after Noah, our main man uh, in Scripture is basically, well, we have... We have, um, of course, um, we first of all, we have, uh, J- let's see, Jacob, no, let's see, Abraham. 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 Abraham, the father of many nations. Now, Abraham came out of paganism. He was actually, I guess, the, the way the tradition has it is that his father sat on the cabinet or was one of the main um, uh, chief warriors for uh, Nimrod. And when Abraham was born, there was a lot of, prophecy about him and he also had to be hidden like Moses for uh, 10 years mm. to be hidden as a child um, because there was a plot to kill him because of the great prophecies that the that the uh, that had been told over him so you found that find this in a source other than the Bible scriptures? yeah right yeah. it's it's in an extra biblical um, source extra biblical biblically endorsed book right and which book is that uh well it's it's the book of Joshua and Joshua. that Joshua endorses the book of Joshua in the book of Joshua, mm-hmm. where he says, is it not as it has been written in the book of Joshua? So, the, and then there's another book called Enoch, which, of course, was written by Enoch, or at least transcribed originally by him and then brought down to us, found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Anyway, so we have Abraham. Now, Abraham, um, interesting fellow. He was the guy called back to himself to begin to, because here's the deal. God is still in Genesis 3. He is still working to to keep his promise. And Jesus, of course, in, at Bethlehem is the promise kept. And, this, and the cross, of course, is the, is the promise completed. But so, so uh, Abraham was going to be called the father of many nations if he would do one thing. And what was that? He would believe God. Mm-hmm. So God gave him. Uh, something to, to act on. He says, I want you to get up, move. I want you to go out of Ur of the Chaldees, which was the headquarters of Nimrod out in the east, um, uh, Samaria, I think it was. And he was to move towards what we now know of as the promised land. And he got there, and then he was tested. And, of course, the devil was, all the time, the devil is always trying to destroy the people of God so that the plan of God breaks down. And so, God had promised Abraham a son. Um, again, long, long-awaited son. Abraham was what, a hundred years old? When, when yeah, and uh, was Sarah? She was seventy-five or something she like that. Was seventy-five. 
And I knew they had babies, you know, they lived longer back in those days and they had babies a little bit. But after the flood, basically people lived to be 120. That got that changed from the 900 years to 120 years. And so um, she was, they were promised this son, but it didn't happen and it didn't happen. And they waited 13 years. And then uh, they, Sarah said, well, maybe God meant, you know, I'm supposed to have this son by Hagar, my handmaiden. So, so Abraham, dutiful husband, he was. Listen to his wife. Not that I, it was really in God's plan, but it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> God permitted it. Let's put it that way. So she had her son, uh, first son, their first son, Ishmael, and then he um, was the the son of the bond servant. He was the slave was his mother, but God says, no, no, no. I said Sarah. I said Sarah. So thirteen years later, twelve years later. So a total of 25 years they waited. 25 yeah, years. They That's waited a long time to wait. For something. Yeah. When you're it a really se- is. When you're a senior citizen. Yeah. Well, it says Abraham did not waver the promises of God. Do you see how this promise of Jesus, this Christmas gift we celebrate at Christmas time, was challenged and attacked and thwarted and hung by a string and was you know, pushed to the extremity of not happening, the impossibility of Sarah and Abraham conceiving, the down to one good strand of DNA with Noah. I mean, we're not talking, you know, Tinsel and Rudolph and, and, and you know, um, Christmas fairies. We're talking God here is doing something, and he's a big God, and he's totally able and will pull off, complete what he has promised. And as we see in the first coming, amazing things, amazing things, even the stars, um, told of his coming, and we see that the, the stars will tell again of his second coming. But so we get to Abraham. Now Abraham has his one and only, uh, um, you know, son by the promise, because of the and that's Isaac. Isaac. Mm-hmm. And so Satan Satan comes up and says to God, you know, Abraham loves his son Isaac more than you. He loves him. He doesn't talk to you anymore. You didn't even get invited to the birthday party. Now, basically, this is Satan presenting his case to God, as we know he does, the accuser of the brethren, to provoke God to take action against us. What did God do? God, well, Satan said to God, here's the deal. Tell Abraham to kill his son. And we all know the the, uh, Cliff's notes on that story, that uh, Abraham took his son, Isaac, and the fire and the knife and the bundle of sticks, and took him where the Lord directed him. The Lord directed him to a mountain called Mount Moriah, which actually, I believe, is um, the hill of Golgotha at this point. It, it changed names a little bit. but So Abraham was up there, and Satan did not want Abraham to go through with this obedient act. But Abraham had learned to really basically not ask questions, even though it looked like so insane and crazy. Um, because what was the world going to say when he was sacrificing his firstborn son, which is exactly what the heathens did to their demon gods, was to placate them with blood and sacrifices of their children. But Abraham trusted God. So he went forward, and at that moment where he was about to plunge the knife into his son, the hand of God's angel stopped him, the hand of mercy stopped him, and then he found the sacrifice. Because Abraham's uh, pronouncement, his declaration to his son when Isaac said, well, dad, Where's the where's the lamb? And he, his dad didn't say you're the lamb. He said the Lord will provide the sacrifice. So that was his statement of faith. 
And sure enough, the the ram was there, but he hadn't seen it at first. It was tied up. And that really, not only in that instance with Abraham and Isaac, that statement he made, the Lord will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. A sacrifice. A sacrifice. That's a prophecy of Jesus. That's right. So this this goes beyond that immediate mm-hmm. yeah, sign right. of the promise to the Lamb of God. Son of the promise, mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, yeah. the Lamb of God who t- takes away the yeah. sin of the world. Absolutely. And John the Baptist then, when he saw Jesus for the first time, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Mm. That was the Holy Spirit speaking that through him. But we'll get to John later. So then <laughs> we're on our way. We're coming down the, the and we're doing these things in big steps, like thousand years, this, and then the next thousand years. So Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. And again, we have huge war and conflict between these twins um, because Jacob was the favored by the mother and by God. But Esau was the one, the eldest of the two, you know, born probably two minutes earlier than his brother, whatever. So he was the eldest. He was also a mighty hunter. And he, um, there was this, this fighting over the birthright. And obviously Esau didn't cherish it that much because he gave it up in his test he gave it up for a bowl of soup lentils he says you know i'll perish if i don't eat so how many of us give up our birthright for a bowl of soup but anyway again the challenge and the and the the one who would believe god was the one who was fit and qualified to carry the promise so uh we know the story of jacob he had 12 sons and it's interesting it wasn't his oldest son that got to carry the promise. It wasn't his favorite son, who was Joseph. And then it wasn't Joseph's little brother, Benjamin. Joseph played a big part in this salvation because, again, the little, the little people group of the, of the Hebrews uh, at that time was only like 70 people. 70 souls, Jacob and his Sons family. and their families, mm-hmm. yeah. And so they were about to starve to death. And that's when we know the story of Joseph. He went on ahead. He was about 17 when they, his brothers turned him over to the Ishmaelites, which were their probably distant cousins of some sort, you know, because the Ishmaelites were Isaac's half-brother. And so they um, took him off to Egypt, and he got sold there into slavery. And had he was there, he, you know, about 10, 10 years, probably worked for Potiphar, another couple, three, four years in jail, prison. And finally, God brought him out in the fullness of time. God is, like, so on time. But he's, he's, it always is in due time. I mean, it, it's past due in our in our book. God, where are you? What's happening? This is all crazy. It's all falling apart. It doesn't make any sense. But always know this, that wherever Satan is working, God is also working. Mm-hmm. So whenever you have something bad happen or didn't go right, rejoice. Don't you, freak out. Because by faith, you're trusting that God's going to keep his promise no matter what it looks like. Say, okay, okay, Lord, what are you going to do now? See, so Jacob sold off. Isaac, uh, I mean, Jake, I mean, Joseph is sold off, and Jacob sits there for how many years? Probably 13, 14 years. Mourning. Mourning the, the loss, loss of his son. Because his brothers, they were, you know, jealous. his brothers were jealous, and they were, you know, they plotted to kill him. Right. And uh, mm-hmm. they threw him into a pit, and that's kind of, then mm-hmm. they sold him, mm-hmm. got into Potiphar's house. I mean, this is a, this is a, this is a long story. Yeah. Of, <laughs> yeah, it is a long story, but going now, now we can finally get into, let's go into the, I think we can go into the New Testament because we're going to look at something here. So then um, Jacob had 12 sons. His oldest son did not get the promise. He screwed up. Uh, Rachel's kids did not get the promise. Jacob's favorite wife. 
Those were Joseph and Benjamin. It was Leah, whose son Judah was the fourth son that got to carry the line of the tribe of Judah. Uh, So Judah was the one that the birthright went to. So God does not always pick the oldest kid in the family or the oldest son, uh, whatever, to pass on the, the baton. So we have Judah. Now, here's the interesting thing. Now let's go to Matthew for a second, and we're going to look at the genealogy of Christ, because each person represented in Matthew, now Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogies are two, they're from two different points of view. One is telling the story of the genealogy of Joseph, who was, um, you know, the supposed, the husband of Mary. So now we're going to, and we're going to see that both Mary and Joseph were of royal descent, both of them. Um, and so in the in Matthew, he starts with Joseph, and he starts with Abraham. And in the um, in the book of in the book of Luke, we see Mary's genealogy, and it starts with it goes back. And it's interesting that you say, well, why they don't seem to say the same thing? They you'll notice that in the book of Matthew. In the New King James, it says, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and they begot, begot, begot. That's the word that they use there. And in Luke, let's see, hold on, I'm going to find Luke here. It says, um, I think it says the son of, doesn't it? In Luke chapter, um, hold on. Okay, Luke chapter 4, nope, not 4. Yeah, here it is. Chapter 3. Um, yeah, let's see where we start. Okay, here's the G in, in, cha- in chapter 3, verse 23. And Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as it was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, da-da-da, and he goes all the way back to Adam. And so um, so he was supposed, and it's, it's um, son of Joseph, Let's see, how does that word, he began, was supposed the son of Joseph, who was the son of Heli, the son of Matat. Now, when they say Joseph, the son of Heli, if you notice, Joseph's father's name was Jacob in Matthew, and here he's got Joseph, the son of Heli. But what they're saying here is Joseph, the son-in-law of Heli, because... um, uh, let's see, the son of the son of. So, so now once we get to Heli, we're getting the son of the son of the son of. So because the genealogy Heli was really um, Mary's father. Does that make sense? I think uh, so. But people, they, they kind of get all that kind of screwed up. But anyway, going back to Matthew for a second. Genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we want to establish the genealogy of Jesus. Why do we have to do that? Why is that such a big deal? Why is genealogy so important with God? Because Jesus Christ is the son of the promise. There is one specific bloodline that carries all the way through from the book of uh, of Genesis in the garden all the way through. And we see how God, um, from Adam, all the way from Adam through, there was a bloodline that was carrying the seed of the woman. And this bloodline had to be kept pure and they also had to be protected. When Abraham believed God and was called forth, to create that people group, which we call the Hebrews at the time. And they were taken down into Egypt, and they were almost killed, annihilated. You know, then, we, then he brings forth Moses, the deliverer. And Moses was of the tribe of Levi. And he was um, the Savior at that point, another representation of the Savior, just like Isaac was. Now we have Moses, who's going to be the deliverer of the children of Israel, to bring them out of bondage, out of 
sudden and sure death and annihilation. Even Moses himself was born in a in a moment of murder and bloodshed and, and killing of babies. And so um, God preserved him in the basket. He preserved Jesus in a manger. Isn't that amazing? God can do that. That's, a, that's crazy amazing. But I just want to make a note here in the book of Matthew and the genealogy. So we see the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah. That's where we are right now. Judah and his brothers. So that's the 12 sons of Jacob. Judah begot Perez and Zer by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. So Tamar is a woman. There are several women noted in this genealogy of Jesus. And it's very interesting that Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. And her first husband, uh, Judah had sons, I believe. Um, Yeah, he had three sons. She was married to the first one. He died. She got married to the second one because they're supposed to do that in those days. He died. And then Judah says, I'll give you my third son. But he was kind of young. So she, she, he said, wait. So she waited and waited and waited for years and years and years. And Judah didn't want to give his third son to Tamar because he thought mm, he'll die too. So Tamar dressed up as a roving prostitute. And Judah, on his way to sheep shearing or whatever he was doing, he, he wasn't married. His wife had died at that point. And so he was a, he was a single man, a widower. Went in unto Tamar. And she conceived twins um, from Judah. Now, isn't that interesting that these, one of these boys is going to carry the bloodline of Jesus? Isn't that just crazy that God weaves this? And then, of course, Judah was going to kill Tamar because she was a prostitute. When it all, but she had taken his ring and his staff, and she says, well, I am pregnant by the guy who owns these. Do you know who owns these? And he had to shut up because they were his. So... He didn't marry her. He didn't take her to wife, but he raised these boys, I imagine. And then Hezron begot Ram and Ram Abinadab. And then we go on and on until we get to another interesting woman named Rahab. So Rahab, we know, brings us down to about the time of, the, of Jericho, right? So her, her, she married a guy, Solomon, married her. He must have been one of the soldiers that marched around the walls of Jericho seven times, saw this red cord hanging out the window, that was Rahab. She was the one who let the spies in. She was the one who didn't die in the big massacre or whatever happened when the walls fell down. He married her. They had a son, Boaz. And Boaz got, um, begot Obed by Ruth. So Boaz married uh, Ruth. Now, Ruth was not a Hebrew. What was she, a Moabite? She was a Moabite, well, wasn't I she? I'm not sure if she would be a, a Moabite. Yeah, I uh, think she was. Because okay. anyway, she was not a, was she was a, a Gentile. Gentile, for sure. Yeah. And so then Ruth uh, and Obed, by Obed, I mean, they got, and Jesse, and then Jesse begot David. And then King David, now David had many sons, he had many wives, many opportunities to have a nice, clean marriage, family, bloodline, da-da-da. But what does he do? He begets Solomon by her who was the wife of Uriah. That would be Bathsheba. So now we have Jesus coming out of a royal line, Solomon's line, David's line. And so the women in the Bible, we have a one who played the role of a prostitute. We had also Rahab was a prostitute before she got married. And then we've got Ruth, who's a Gentile, who stayed with her mother-in-law and went back to Israel. She and, was a widow. Yeah, yeah. Was. Ruth was a widow. Mm-hmm. And so, and then, um, then we have Solomon, 
coming from Bathsheba. So you see that God is using or very ordinary people, uh, people who weren't perfect for sure. Right. But he kept the bloodline going for his own purposes. I, why do you think he did that? Why do you think he used all these not very perfect people? Well, I think bad past. Part of it was with his grace. Oh, it's, it's grace because I, I think he's showing grace that in the midst of sinful patterns, sinful behaviors, God can you know work his his plan and his purpose mm. through through people like That's that. I, I, I really, I, it gives people hope. Mm-hmm. You know, they think if oh, I'm high born or. Yeah. I'm lowborn, therefore I no, I don't have a chance. But no, mm-hmm. he incorporated people, you know, very you know, perfect people, some people that had really messed up in the in the genealogy. Oh my goodness. And then you get to Manasseh. Um he's let's see, in verse um well, let's see, where did he show? Okay. In verse um ten of Matthew one, we get to Manasseh. Manasseh was totally evil. He was a king, of course of a Jude, I think, and he murdered his own children. He sacrificed his own sons. He committed um, child sacrifices. Manasseh did so much evil, 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 bad, bad, bad. And then his grandson, Josiah, was a good king. Very so his, good. His dad, Hezekiah, was a wonderful king. Yeah. And his and grandpa also was a horrible king mm-hmm. that, that just brought idolatry and all kinds of defilement to Israel. And then, then here you got Josiah coming along that was mm-hmm. and, said a good king. And because of all this, well, there was Jehoshaphat, first of all, in verse 8. He was a good king. He begot Uzziah. He was a good king. He saw God high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And then we saw Hezekiah. Um, he was a very good king. He was the one who got healed. Uh, who, but then Manasseh wasn't impressed with his legacy, so he turned towards, maybe he married a bad wife, probably, who knows. Um, I don't think, but that's oftentimes what would happen. Um, they would marry somebody, um, like in the Israelite kingdom. By this time, by the way, guys, there's now two kingdoms, because after David, after um, Solomon, Solomon had a son, and there was a rebellion, and some people went, didn't go with Solomon's son, they went with the other um the other proposed leader and I think his name was Nabat or no I'm not sure don't quote me on that I'll go back and look but anyway so there was now Israel and Judah but their both kingdoms are being uh driven in towards exile because of their their they had to be punished there was so much sin and wickedness but so again the devil is trying to corrupt the pro- the promise the plan with sin disobedience idolatry paganism hedonism um Rebellion against God, um, hardness of heart, uh, plotting, conspiracy. So all along, there is nothing but trouble. There is no easy days for the children of God or for the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And so we see that um, in verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary. So okay. the genealogies are traced through the through the through the father side or the husband side in the case with Joseph, um, both in Luke and in Matthew. But it's interesting. The tracing of the, through the genealogy tracing. Right, right, fathers. right. But actually the bloodline is carried through the female, if that can be. Because here's the interesting thing. I think you can look it up and call me if you want to, 347-215-8051. Call us. 
But I think that the actual tracing of genealogy bloodlines is through the mother um, because it's interesting that this is a side note, but when they, uh, Ron Wyatt, archaeologist, oh, I don't know, maybe 40 years ago, he's, he's passed away, was doing a lot of digs in and around Jerusalem and Israel in the, in the sand and in the area. He believed that he found the Ark of the Covenant, which had been tucked under uh, the caves, um, under Mount Moriah, which is exact. And so when Jesus died, the cross was driven in the ground and the blood ran down and dripped upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, which totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. But the people didn't know that it was there because it had been sort of tucked away there. And so when they found this dried blood and Ron White had it checked out, uh, DNA checked and all this stuff they do, it was actually, it was living. It was, it was living blood and it only had the female chromosomes plus one mm-hmm. Y chromosome. And so it didn't have the normal 46 chromosomes that human beings have, which verifies a virgin birth right. and the divinity of Jesus Christ and the right. Immaculate Conception. Right, right. So the, the, I would say the, how can I say it? The genealogy is traced through Joseph in this case. Right. Mm-hmm. But the actual humanness of Jesus mm-hmm. comes through Mary. would be verified through Jesus because through Mary. it said yeah. through Mary yeah. because it said uh, Matthew one sixteen and Jacob begot Joseph the husband of Mary of whom it was born Jesus who is called Christ mm-hmm. and Joseph was you know supposed he was supposed to mm-hmm. be the the father believed of Jesus, to be in other believed words believed to be. Mm-hmm. But of course, we have the wonderful miracle mm-hmm. of the uh, the virgin birth, mm-hmm. where the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and we'll get a, we'll get into that probably mm-hmm. later today, or else maybe next time. Yeah. So you see, the first part of when you go to Luke for the genealogies, there, Luke three twenty three, Jesus Himself began His ministry at the age of thirty. Already said that, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi. The son of, and then the names go on and on and on. These um, were down through the. These people were living during the time of, I believe, uh, after just after the captivity, because in verse twenty-seven it says, uh, "The son of Jonas, the son of Rames, uh, Ramas, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of da 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 da." And then it goes, um, but see, Zerubbabel was one who came back from the captivity. So these. These um, now from verse 27 through the next few, we're going into the um, verses of where they were in the, the conflict. There were two tribes. I mean, two. Um, yeah, well, the tribe of Judah, tribe of Israel. Israel was all the other kids, all the other except Judah had Judah and Benjamin in it, and the other ten tribes were in Israel. The grouping called Israel. And so then we go to verse um, 30. One, where it says the son of Malsa, the son of uh, Marion, the son of Matat. He's just giving sons, sons, sons. The son of Nathan, the son of David. So Nathan and Solomon were brothers, actually. And um, Mary's line, and and so she's royal blood because she's of the blood of David, but her generational, so that Joseph and Mary were technically related only up to David. And then after David, they had different, you know, bloodlines. So Nathan was in the bloodline of Mary and Solomon was in the bloodline of Joseph. 
So whichever way you spin this thing, Jesus is of royal descent and he has the pedigree. He has the absolute um, uh, qualifications to be God and man related to all these people. And the pedigrees were all intact and written down. And so it's it's pretty much record recorded. And it's interesting that after uh, Jesus died on the cross and the Romans um, destroyed the temple, they destroyed also all the genealogies. So there was no more uh, records being kept after that. So there wasn't any more need for records to be kept, basically, because Jesus, he was the only one whose record needed to be kept, and it had been kept up to this point and recorded in the Word of God. So it was intact. It was known. Everybody knew that. But after that, the records for any, you know, imposters who would come along after that to try to declare that they're of royal blood and they're of David's house and tribe of Judah, blah, blah, blah. There was no way that they could even prove it because it had been finished. This this chapter was closed. So in in what we're saying here is there's been a ton of, God had to get ready for the birth of his son. And so many spiritual things happen. If you look in the Old Testament, it's all about conspiracy, plot, intrigue, Satan trying to um, c- corrupt humankind again and again. And that's part of the reason, honey, why the, the Lord had to give all the laws and the, Moses was given the Ten Commandments, even though Abraham came before Moses and he was given the promise. Yeah, there's such... It, it's a story. It's a story of biblical proportions. <laughs> Epic proportions. <laughs> biblical proportions. Because it, it it is just an amazing, this thread of... Uh, the red thread of redemption, I guess, is what mm-hmm. many people used to call it. It's all the way through the scripture. It's and but the, the mm-hmm. things that God used. has woven together, mm-hmm. and the people, and the intrigue, I and know. the plots, and the conspiracies, and over centuries mm-hmm. of, of, of 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 there was you know sin, there was all kinds of yeah. corruption. Mm-hmm. There were people that stood out. They were pro, uh, as godly mm-hmm. and righteous in the midst of crooked and perverse generations, yeah. and then of course there was the, uh, the, the all the prophets that spoke uh-huh. that, that came prophecy. later and spoke. I mean, there's prophecy yeah. after prophecy after prophecy speaking of uh, the head crusher, uh-huh. the redeemer, <clears throat> uh, mm-hmm. the um, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the way the the the, the king the um, the prophet like unto Moses. There's so many different mm-hmm. uh, uh, talking about prophecies of who this this coming be. Absolutely, he was very well defined. So, um, but God was vague in his definitions, but also there were prophet, prophetic words. For example, number one, he'd be the seed of a woman. Second of all, Genesis twelve three. Uh, he would be the descendant of Abraham. But God was pretty vague there. He didn't, you know, put Abraham on the chopping block and make him target, targeted by the enemy because Satan didn't. He just said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, that's a vague prophecy about Jesus coming through Abraham because he's going to bless all the families through Jesus. And he'd be a descendant of Isaac. And God says, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and his descendants after him. So he's talking about an everlasting covenant. Again, God is not being very specific. I think the purpose of that is to give you the prophecy, but not give you the point of who it is so that Satan could go and kill them. 
Um, and not only that, but I'm sure Satan was onto it eventually. Then you would be a descendant of Jacob. And in Numbers 24, 17, it says, God says, um, I see him now, or I, I'm sorry, the prophet says, I see him now, but not, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall arise out of Israel. And the, um, what is that? And batter the brow oh, of Moab. Batter the brow of Moab. Never, and destroy all the sons of Tumult. So the sun, yeah, batter the brow of, of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. So this is a prophecy about Jesus coming a descendant of Jacob. Then we have, he'd be of the tribe of Judah. And we have that in Genesis 49. The scepter, which is the kingly um, instrument of rule and authority, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedient to, shall be the obedience of the people. Shiloh is another word for um, Jesus or Savior, Christ, yes. Christ. And so we see that God is built, building his genealogy and be heir to the throne of David in Isaiah 9, 7. Uh, of the cre- increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over the, his kingdom to order it and establish it with justice, judgment and justice from that time forward forever, even forever. The seal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So God is just, he's not missing a beat. He's not being uh, distracted by what Satan's trying to do here to kill his people off. We we got down to David already. We're past Moses. We're going through the, you know, we got through the Ten Commandments. We're just moving on down. This is at an appointed time. And in, um, he'd be anointed and eternal. Um, these are prophecies. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, the God, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Of old, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens and the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yea, all of them will grow old like a garment, but a, like a cloak, you will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same. You and your years will have no end. So you see that there's these fulfilling of the prophecies, and we see how they're filled in, in the New Testament. Many of them, actually all of them, um, are fulfilled in various indications. He would be born in Bethlehem. This is a very interesting one. This is the one that caught the attention of the uh, wise men or the Magi when they came from the east. Um, and that's quite an interesting story itself, and we'll probably look into that story a little bit so more. They were aware of this uh, prophecy, right? Of Micah. In, in the Old Testament, because they had the Old Testament, they didn't have the New Testament yet, so they just were working with the Old. And in Micah two, I'm mean five two. It says, "But you Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the leader, the ruler of Israel." whose going forth has been from of old, from everlasting. So Bethlehem, a little tiny city. Now, you're getting, it's getting a little more specific here in the fact that he's of these, all these particular people. Every time you throw a prophecy in there, it, it, it decreases the odds of it happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it, so to, it, or it increases exponentially uh, the chances that, that it won't happen. Yeah, there's there over the centuries. There's this focus. You have a piece here and a piece here, a focal point here, a focal point here, and there's mystery associated with each one. What what does it mean that 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you go back to the original prophecy mm-hmm. of Christ, talking about that the uh, seed of the woman yeah, crushing right. the head of the serpent. Okay, what what is what does that mean? You know what I'm saying? It's getting so more clear. It, it, yeah. So it all this stuff, and you piece it together as you as we've been reading these prophecies here from beginning to end. It is just an absolutely masterful, marvel, masterful mm-hmm. story. No human being could come uh-huh. up with this sort of a yeah. a, a plot, you know. It's like if you watch a movie, yeah. you know, and you, sometimes you watch a movie and say, that was really, really well-written mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. This is far superior to anything. I mean, this is not only written, but it is orchestrated, and it is taking, yeah. to play, taking place exactly according to God's script. God's script, exactly. Isn't that interesting? Um, and then we have, you know, the prophecy, the time of his birth, and this was absolutely given by Daniel. I mean, down to the, he says here in Daniel 9, 25, of course, who could understand? It's kind of, God gives his information in riddles sometimes, and it takes the Holy Spirit to try to decipher it. He says, uh, Daniel nine twenty five. know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be the street shall be built again, and the walls even in troublesome time. Now, Daniel was part of the captivity. He grew up as an uh, administrator in three of the king's courts that were heathen. There was um, Darius, there was uh, Belshazzar, was Darius, there was a couple of other kings, Cyrus, I think. Um, and he, he, so he was in the middle of the captivity, but God gave him, if you add these numbers, seven weeks and 62 weeks, you get 69 weeks. Now, God recorded everything. He did. He marked time in jubilees, uh, in years of weeks. So every week represented a, a year. I mean, every day, I'm sorry, of the week represented a year. So he's saying day in the week was a year. So you have 69 um, times 7. Um, that would translate into years. So basically, the time of his birth was already given. Um, and being born of a virgin, I, Isaiah said that. So now now we have a little more specific idea of who that woman is going to be. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you suppose that the enemy was pouring, listening to these prophets, pouring through the written and spoken uh, word of prophecy from these various great men of God, Daniel, Isaiah, etc., to try to find little hints and clues of what he was to look for. Do you suppose that he did that? Well, I would say it's just a matter of how much how much does he know? It says he knows the this. scripture fear and trembles. Satan, uh, the demons... The, the demons believe and tremble. They believe. Isn't that interesting? They believe. They believe that what God says he's going to do, and they tremble because they know... There is nothing ultimately they're going to be able to do to stop it. Exactly, exactly. And so, so the demons, when we say the demons believe, that doesn't mean that their demons are going to be saved. Right. Good. But they good point. recognize the power of God, yeah. the truth of God, even though they're liars because they're under the father yeah. of lies. Well, they're committed to their lies. They're committed. They can't. I don't think they can change anymore. I think they've, they, they. They're, they're sealed. That, yeah, they're sealed into the day of destruction. Good good way to put it. 
So then we see in Jeremiah another horrible event that's going to be right at the same time. Thus, in Jeremiah 31, 15, thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they they are no more. It's interesting that Bethlehem uh, is where Rachel was buried. And uh, that's why they say Rachel was weeping for her children because I'm sure that uh, Bethlehem was part of, you know, where her heart was. And she's weeping for all these babies. Then. But you see, again, you don't really know. You can't say, well, I know what that means. That means Herod's going to kill all the babies. Well, in Matthew 2, 16 and 8 through 18, we see that's exactly how the, the prophecy is fulfilled. Uh, go ahead and read that. Go ahead. Yeah, it says then Herod, you know, the, remember the wise men had come to see Jesus, these magi. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, well, come back. Herod, this wicked king, Herod, said... Uh, uh, he's an Idumean king. He said, well, you come back and tell him, tell me when you find him so I can come and worship him too. And of course, mm-hmm. he wanted to kill him. And then the the, the uh, wise men uh, had a dream. They said, you know, just go. Don't come back to Herod. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it says, well, then it says, verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who in who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts mm-hmm. from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, yeah. lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. It's, it's interesting. This is a repeat of Moses. Moses was uh, sequestered away in a basket of reeds uh, hidden in the the water, so he would not be. His mother believed God, and he was protected. He was actually hidden in in Egypt. Jesus also was taken to Egypt by Joseph and and Mary and hidden in Egypt. Yeah, and and then came back to but, be the deliverer. Moses came back to be the deliverer. Yeah, so Satan should be getting this by now. But anyway, <laughs> Egypt, it's interesting enough, is a type of the world. So God took His precious deliverers into the very courts, into the very clutches of paganism, of paganism of the world, and kept yeah. them safe there. If that isn't God. I'm just thinking what God used, and I think we're going to kind of wrap it up to this is part of the Christmas story, but we're going to get um, next week. We'll probably talk more about the plain, ordinary people <clears throat> that God used to actually bring it to earth. I mean, the actual arrival of Jesus Christ, yeah. um, everybody from John and Elizabeth all the way to Mary and yeah. Simeon and Anna mm-hmm. and the, uh, the shepherds. Well, Joseph, Mary, love and those shepherds. shepherds. All those those shepherds, they. That, is that had to be the most powerful revelation they ever had. That was the high point of their whole life. And it's probably some of the most unlikely people that you think. God and they were not qualified there. to testify to anybody in a court of law. Isn't that something? God gives his main event recording. The newscasters that were there to broadcast the event were the shepherds, and they had no credibility they in were, the courts of law. That's right. And they well, we'll talk more about that next time. They were like, they had a bad reputation because a lot of shepherds in yeah. that, shepherds in general had the reputation that they would come by, they were yeah. kind of transients yeah. Yeah. and they would steal and mm-hmm. stuff it's like amazing. that. So, But here's the 
this great revelation comes to these yeah, guys. Yeah, and it's interesting just to, to kind of sneak preview. The shepherds, these particular shepherds, were the shepherds who watched over the lambs, the flocks. The that, sacrificial. The sacrificial lambs yes. that were brought to the temple because Bethlehem was only six miles from Jerusalem, the temple. So they might have been uh, nicer shepherds. They might have been, and of course their little lambs were the next ones in line to be slaughtered until the Lamb of God. And when Jesus, again going back to when Jesus died on the cross, basically very shortly thereafter, all the sacrifices of the lambs ceased because the temple was destroyed. And because there's no temple... 70 AD, the Romans yes. came and destroyed the temple. Yeah, and so there was no more, 30 no years more later, yeah, no more. so the little lambs even got saved. So, yay. Um <laughs> but looking back, we God used everything from a boat to a red string with with Rahab to a basket, a wicker basket to uh, uh, you know a, people that were so um, unlikely uh, to bring forth this promise. God is big. God is great. God will do what He said He's going to do. And the best thing that we can do is know that, not hope that or or. Be anxious about that. Rejoice in that. The Bible says rejoice. I think one of the best words to describe Christmas is rejoice. Rejoice. Be thankful. Doesn't matter. Don't get hung up on the little things this week. Be blessed and be at peace. Let the Spirit, ask God for the Spirit and revelation of Jesus Christ to take over where there was uh, distress and anxiety and, and, you know, just Ask God to show you the most important things and not to worry about the things. If you have problems, like you need to bake your cookies and you need to get this done and you need to do that, the best thing to do on that is to say, Jesus, help me. Holy Spirit, help me get this done. I can't do this. You, And as you ask him to help you, you'll be amazed at what he will do, what he's got the power to do. So praise God for his power and the fact that he likes us. He's in love with us and he wants us to be blessed, and he wants you to enjoy and rejoice. He's giving us another Christmas time, um, not to say Jesus was born. We'll look more at that stuff next week, but thank you for joining us today in um, this journey um, through time, <laughs> back to the beginning. And we can say, joy to the world, the Lord is come. He is come, and Let he earth is. receive her king. Amen. And the earth receiving her king, amen, is Jesus is coming again, this time not as a baby, not as someone who has to be hustled off to Egypt, you know, fleeing in the middle of the night, in the dark of the night to be saved from Herod's bloody sword, but he's coming as the king of kings kings to take his rightful place on earth as the ruler of the earth. Praise God. So, Lord, bless us, and uh, may you keep us. May we be filled with your peace, your joy, and your revelation this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I have an emergency. What is your location? for yourself.